Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's Francis Chan. Love him. You know, I, I was thinking as we're, we're starting this new series, and we're going to go the whole summer, 10 weeks, in the life of David, and just digging in to King David and what made his uh, life unique and with all the mistakes that he made, how could he be called the man after God's own heart? And as I was listening to that from Francis Chan, just his words there, you know, the series is called Chasing the Heart of God. That's what we're going to be looking at. How do we chase the heart of God, because that's what David did. David chased the heart of God. That's what he. That's that's the characteristic that was called the David. He was a he was a man that chased the heart of God. A man that had the heart of God. Have you ever Have you ever just chased something in your life that you really wanted? It, it, maybe it was a car. Maybe it was that certain car you wanted. That 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 vintage car that you always wanted. And you chased it, and you chased it. You saved up money for it, whatever it is. For me, it wasn't. It wasn't the maybe as much the the vintage car, but I can remember uh, when I was a senior in high school. There's this one thing that I wanted more than anything else. I was saving up my money as I was working at Wendy's, making three dollars and five cents an hour. I went to my boss. I said, "Can I have a raise?" He said, "Sure." I said, "Great." So I looked at my paycheck the next week. And I got a nickel raise, 310. I mean, I was living large, a lot of money. So I was saved up, saved up. And this is the one thing I wanted. I wanted this tennis racket that John, how many remember John McEnroe, right? You remember John, Mac, John McEnroe had this tennis racket, a Dunlap Black Max. I want it was $90. Now, if you were to calculate that in today's terms, it would be $230. It's a lot of money. And I saved, I saved. So all I want, I said, my tennis game will completely change. I will be John McEnroe within a month if I have the racket that he uses. So I saved up. I finally got this racket. And guess what? Once I got it, I played with it. It wasn't that great. It was like all of a sudden I, I spent all this money. I did, and it just, and then, and I remember, I remember I was pretty, I was a new Christian at the time. And I can remember God just speaking to my heart and, and just saying, Barton, where's your satisfaction? What, what are you chasing? Where's your satisfaction? And really, that, that's the theme of these next 10 weeks is I want to pull out where, what are you chasing? Where is your satisfaction? Let me just say this right off the bat. When your satisfaction is in God, nothing else will compare. When your satisfaction is God, when you chase after God, everything, not that God doesn't want us to have a, Dunlap Black Max tennis racket or a vintage car. Not that God doesn't want to have those things, but those things can never, ever, ever satisfy us like a relationship that God desires to have with us. And this is something that I want to look at with the life of David. And in fact, one of the most compelling figures that we do see in the Old Testament is, is, is David. David is just an amazing figure. And Paul the Apostle, uh, writing, is, is recorded for us in the book of Acts, looks back and he was on one of his missionary journeys and he's speaking in the synagogue. And this is what he said to the listeners, knowing David's lifestyle and all the mistakes that he made. Acts 13, 22, it says this. Here's what Paul says. And when he had removed him, he raised up David, talking about removing King Saul out of leadership, out of the kingship. He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. Here David is characterized by God as a man after his heart, the heart of God. And this to me is so incredible to actually say this about a, a person 
This is something that I want to be known for. At the end of my life, I want people to say, you know what? Barden was someone who really pursued the heart of God. And so what Paul does, Paul shares this understanding of David and the life of David, knowing in full advance that David's life wasn't perfect. And in the same way, David's life is a perfect example of every single one of us here today. That if we were to dig under the surface a little bit, I mean, we look at David and we know the big stories, David and Goliath. We, we know, right? We know the, the, the big stories, that that's the big one. Everybody knows David and Goliath when he slewed the giant, right? But when you dig under the surface a little bit in David's life and you really begin to know who he is, not so perfect, right? How many married couples going into marriage, you thought, man, my spot, right? And then you get, you're married for a couple of weeks, like, man, they leave the toilet seat up. What's up? Right? They leave their underwear on the floor. This isn't Shangri-La anymore, right? All of a sudden you begin to dig under the surface and see uh, what the person is really like. Like, man, you don't pick up your toenail clippings. Come on, man. What is this? We're married. Come on. Right? Um, what's going on? And so we dig under the surface and it's not, it's not so pretty, is it? And that, that's so reflective of our life that, that a little bit under the surface, we're not so perfect as we may give off to other people. And so this summer, we're going to dig into the life of David and, and what caused him to be that person that chased after the heart of God. So I want to make this, the intro of this, of this series, just introduction and lay a foundation for you today. And when, as we dig into this person of David, uh, we're going to see that he made a lot of mistakes, huge mistakes and the question I want to ask is, how can a person who made so many mistakes actually be called a man after God's own heart? With all the mistakes David made in his life, and why didn't he just give up? And what I want to, I want to do over the next several months is I want to look at the things that made David great, but also be able to look at his failures and how we can learn from them. And we know the story of David and Goliath. We know he's a great warrior. We know that he was a faithful friend. Um, but we also know that he allowed pride to get in the way and he made a lot of bad decisions. What I want to do is look at this relationship that David had with God because David had a very personal relationship with God. Most of the Psalms are written by David showing his relationship with God. And so how could David be called the man after God's own heart? It, because he did so many wrong things and he didn't do things the right way. He was an adulterer. He, he had a man killed. He was train wreck as a father. He broke most of the commandments. But here's the reason why. Let me tell you the reason why Paul looking back and can say, this man, this adulterer, man killer, not a good dad, made a lot of bad decisions. How can David be called a man after God's own heart? Because we look on the surface and go, hey, a man after God's own heart. That's a failure. Here's the reason why. With all his flaws, he knew how to do two things. David knew how to forgive, and David knew how to repent. Let me tell you something. Can I just be honest with you this morning? If you can understand these two things in your life, it will save you from a lot of heartache. Because the two things as a pastor, I've been pastoring 28 years, the two things that I see, whether it's relationship issues, marriage issues, whatever it may be, really boils down to these two things. Either A, we don't know how to forgive and we hold bitterness in our heart. And how much know bitterness is the poison we drink waiting for the other person to die? Or we don't know how to repent. Because we just, 
We, we don't understand the meaning of that. We don't understand how to humble ourselves before God. Listen, we can do all these great things for God, and that's wonderful. And we can look shiny and clean and smell good on the outside. And we know all the Christian words. But on the inside, so many of us are just messed up. Our lives are messed up because of bad decisions, unforgiveness, not being willing to humble ourselves. And these are the things that cause so much animosity in our heart where God says, listen, I want to take those things to heal you, to help you, to help restore you. But, but in our pride, right? Let's be honest with ourselves. In our pride, it's hard for us to do that because we have to be willing to admit that we're what? Wrong. Remember Fonzie on Happy Days? He couldn't say, I was, it's so, (laughs) totally giving you my age right now, right? All you 50-somethings. It's hard for us to admit that, that, that we're actually wrong. But David understood about forgiveness and repentance. And it's interesting to me that David never blamed others for his mistakes. He didn't use passive language in dealing with his sin. He didn't blame his past or his family history. He didn't blame the pressure of leadership. He didn't blame the constant pressure of his enemies. He he didn't look at his sin as something that only made him look bad. And, and the only reason he was upset is for the reason that he got caught. What he did understand is how his transgressions were against God. See, as much as David messed up, he never failed to own up for his sins and his failures. And and there's not one place where when David was confronted with his sin that he didn't deal with it and heed the correction. This is incredible to me. And I, I want to just give you a little glimpse of, and we're going to dig more into this as we, as we jump further into the series. But, but when David was confronted after having this horrible, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, with a married woman, Nathan the prophet comes up to him and tells him a story because David's just living in the sin. It hasn't been confronted. He's covered it. He, he sent this woman's husband on the front lines because he was a, a fighter for him. And he knew by sending her husband to the front lines that he would die. And he did die. And then David, what he does, ends up marrying her to make it look good. So David looks like this great guy who swoops in and marries this woman who becomes a widow because her husband dies on the front, on the front lines. It makes it look like that this baby is actually going to, to be his baby and he's going to make all these uh, he's going to come in and sweep in and be the hero of the day. And so Nathan, the prophet, approaches him and just shares a story about some atrocity that happens to this man with the sheep. One guy owns all these sheep. Another guy owns one sheep. And the guy with all the sheep takes the one sheep and uses it for himself and takes away this one man's little family sheep pet that they had. And David was like, that's an atrocity. That's terrible. Justice. We need to kill that man. And what Nathan does, he goes, no, you're that man. You're that man. And so when David is confronted with his adulterous affair with Bathsheba from Nathan the prophet, we get this glimpse. Second Samuel twelve thirteen. Here's what David does. After he's confronted, here's what David does. David confesses to Nathan. He says this. He says, I have sinned against who? Hmm, that's interesting. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Now we know later in the story that that the child eventually does die and it's a very sad occasion. So here we have David. He confesses his sin. He says, yeah, it's against the Lord. It's against my relationship with God that I've done this thing. 
Psalm 51 records for us David's words after he is confronted from the prophet Nathan about his waywardness. I believe Psalm 51 holds for us some of the greatest words of what it truly means to be repentant before God. See, what David cared more about was not so much, yeah, he did bad things. But I think where we stop short is that the reason why we want forgiveness is because it makes us look bad. The reason why we want forgiveness is because we're like, okay, I got caught. I'm going to go through the motions of saying, I'm sorry, to try to make it right in front of people. But at the heart of this, David knew that it disturbed his relationship with his Savior, with his God. I want to read Psalm 51, just the first 12 verses for you. Listen to David's heart here. And I want, I want this to grab each and every one of your hearts because I want, I want you to see David as he expresses his sorrow and repentance before the Lord. Listen to what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me and against you. And only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear Joy and gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Beautiful words right there. See, this sounds like a man who is not justifying his sin or making excuses. He's actually owning it. I want you to notice the words that David uses. He says, have mercy on me. Wash away my iniquities. Cleanse me from my sin against you and only you have I sinned. Wash me whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That is is a man that desires to have a relationship with God and to have it restored once again. See, let, let me explain something. I think we get confused about sin. We, don't we all categorize sins? We categorize sins as not the so bad ones, right? Hey, I didn't murder anybody. Haven't held up a bank lately. I'm good. Went to church, check, read my Bible, read my little devotional today, check, I'm doing good, God, right? But really, what is sin? sin? Sin is a broken relationship with God that none of us can restore in ourselves. Sin is not just the big, big ones. Oh, those are all the big ones. But how many of us know we can gossip? We can backbite people. The things that we think in our heads. The things that we know when we're alone with our thoughts, we're like, yeah, if Jesus was in the room and he were to see what I was watching. Right? Let's be honest. So we try to categorize our sins in the not so bad ones and then the really 
bad ones. But David ultimately knew that his sin was against God, and that's what separated him from God. It's a man that desired to have his relationship with God restored. What Paul does, Paul the Apostle, he writes two letters to the, the church in Corinth. The first letter was a real rebuke. The church was a train wreck. The church was making all these mistakes. And so Paul writes to rebuke them. Then he writes the second letter to say, hey, you heeded my words. It was kind of an encouraging second letter to say, hey, the church was way off track, but they heed his word and they were coming back to the Lord. And I want you to see Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, because he shows the church, this is what it truly means to repent before the Lord and restore your relationship with him. And if I were to tell you, I couldn't even keep it PG, some of the things that the people in the church, if I were to do a sermon series on it, I would just say, Corinthian church, church gone wild. That's, 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 what, that's how I would title it. It was just, they were so off track in so many different ways. They were getting drunk before they were taking communion. That's just the start of it. It's just, you need to read your Bibles more. It's good stuff in there. You're like, wow, that's, I never knew that. Whoa. And so Paul writes them, rebukes them. And then he writes the second letter. I want you to see what he writes in the second letter. He says, yet now I'm happy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. He says, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to what? Repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly Sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation that leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay. Okay. So how do I know if my sins have truly been forgiven? How do I know the difference between I just feel sorry because I got caught? Or how do I really know that my repentance is true before God? Paul tells us right here what this means. He, he, so what is the difference between this godly sorrow and, and worldly sorrow? Because what we see in David's heart, the reason why he was a man after God's own heart, he knew how to forgive and he knew how to repent before the Lord. So what's the difference? I have those for you in your notes if you want to follow along in, in, in the bulletin there. But let me show you the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow focuses on the way I feel. Oh, this ruined my life. I made this big mistake. Woe is me. But godly sorrow focuses on how God feels. Look at what I've done against you, God, and my relationship with you. Worldly sorrow is feeling regret for being caught, but godly sorrow is regret over offending God. Worldly worldly, uh, sorrow many times will try to hide the offense. Godly sorrow will seek God for forgiveness. Worldly sorrow seeks to regain others' approval as my main motivation, but godly sorrow, sorrow seeks to restore a lost relationship with God. That's, that's the key that we see in David's life and heart. Worldly sorrow will tend to repeat the sin, but godly sorrow leads to forsaking my sin through repentance. See, godly sorrow, Paul says, produces true repentance. They weren't just sorry, but there was actually a change in behavior, a change of mind. Paul was happy because there was fruit from their repentance. There was a change that made Paul happy. Paul said, yeah, you messed up. You made a lot of bad decisions, 
But there was godly sorrow in what you did, and I can see it in the fruit and your changed lives. I'm happy because of that, that you restored your relationship with God. Paul is glad because their sorrow actually led to repentance. And listen, listen, this isn't, I know we live in a world where we're all snowflakes and everybody's an individual and we're all, you know, potpourri and everybody's wonderful. And everybody's got to get a trophy for everything, right? I, I realize we live in this, 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 this world nowadays. But let me just say this. When we hear something like this, it's not to condemn you. We can go to the other extreme where we try to make everybody feel good. And I say this all the time. It's like trying to spray Febreze on a dead carcass. Have you ever done that? Your carpet stinks. You say, well, just get the Febreze out. Well, but I mean, no, it's still, it's not clean. It's just, it smells better, but it's nasty. Nobody would spray Febreze on a dead carcass and say, okay, let's throw it on the grill now because it smells good, right? But you wouldn't do it. See, and that's what we tried to do. Listen, listen. By saying everybody's night, we try to spray Febreze on our dead carcasses. We're not renewed unless Christ renews us. And, and the vehicle through that is through repentance. And it's not so God can beat us up and say, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good, right? You're just, you're no good. That's not it at all. God says, I want to lead your repentance so you can find healing and forgiveness and joy in your life, just as David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's done through humbling ourselves before God. That doesn't come through any religious thing you do or religious calisthenic or going through some religious motion. God doesn't care about those things. God cares about your heart. That's the change that has to happen. That's what Paul saw in the Corinthians. That's what Nathan saw in the heart of David. That's what God saw in David. That's why Paul could look back and say, this is a man after God's own heart. Listen to this quote by Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a great evangelist in the 1800s, actually came through the Rochester area, and thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ. I love, I believe Finney is spot on here when he talks about repentance. He says, many suppose that remorse or a sense of guilt is repentance. Survey says, and eh, just because you feel guilty over something and try to spray for breeze over it, that doesn't mean that sin is forgiven. So many suppose that remorse or sense of guilt is repentance. Others, others feel regret that they have sinned. Survey says, and eh, that's not true repentance. And they call that repenting. But they only regret their sin because of the consequences. Oh, 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 oh. okay, Charles. Now you, 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 hit a, you, hit a, you hit a hot button there. It's not because they abhor sin. It's because they got caught. Do you see the difference? So, are you with me? All services. Everybody say amen. Okay, just check in. Okay, here we go. You're thinking, I want... I'm with you, Pastor. Just don't like the sin, repentance stuff. Who does? But this is good for us. Everybody say this is good. Okay, for us. Good. Okay. So what, what Charles Finney says, this is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind towards God and sin. It's not only a change of views, but a change of the ultimate preference or choice of the soul and action. Bang. Good definition of repentances. See, the thing we need to see in David is this. He was a king. He was a leader. He was successful. He had wealth. He had military power. He was one of the most famous men in all of Old Testament history. 
And he could have easily not heeded to the wisdom of those who answered to him. Yet he was humble enough to listen to those beneath him. And there's something we need to look at as an as example in our world today, especially as we see in our world today. Because let's be honest, very rarely do we see a politician, an athlete, celebrity, movie star who actually take responsibility of their sin without justifying or putting some label on it. They're not owning it. They're sad they got caught, but they're like, well, it's because of the pressure of this and that, and they put some, some label on it. See, David's only help was God, and this, was, this is what David understood. There, there, there must be a loathing for sin and, and a love for forgiveness. And this is, this is the wonderful, wonderful example of how God deals with us. And so the question to ask ourselves, how, how does God deal with our sin? Because you may be here today and, well, pastor, I've made so many mistakes in my past. And, you know, I want to have this relationship with God, but I can't, I, you know, I, you're right. I do pursue the wrong things many times. I'm trying to find my satisfaction in these things that really aren't lasting or don't bring fulfillment. So how does God deal with our sin? Not just by condemning us and leaving us the way we are. But he says that, that we who were enemies with God, he said, I will forgive you. Because before our relationship with God, before we've come and repented before Jesus, the Bible says that we're actually enemies with God. We're at odds with him. We want our own way, don't we? We just want our own way. I want it my way or the highway. And, and it's this pride thing that has to be broken before God in order for him to do something great in our hearts. We can't control God. We can't say, God, well, I'm going to have a little bit of you, but this is just enough. I don't want the whole thing. Just a little bit of God is enough for me. Is that, is, is that the right way to think? No, God says, I want all of you. If you're going to truly be satisfied in me, I want all of you. What the Apostle Paul does, he explains what Jesus Christ does for us. In the midst of our sin and rebellion against God, listen to what God does for us through his son, Jesus, let me just read you a couple of passages in Romans chapter 5. Here's what, here's what the word of God says, Romans 5, and then we're going to look just 6 through 11. Here's what Paul says. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that's every single one of us sitting in this room. Very rarely when anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man sometimes might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Exclamation point. Verse 10, for, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Exclamation point. Not only, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying Jesus gave his life for his enemies, which every single one of us were. Not only did Jesus give his life for our sins, but he paid the penalty for our sins, which by his death and, and his perfect atoning death for you and I. So what Paul is saying here is God didn't come waiting for you to get your life together. 
And, and I hear that excuse a lot. Oh, Pastor, I'll come to church. Yeah, I got to get a suit. We don't wear a lot of suits here. So take that excuse off, right? You know, I don't know if I, you know, the walls may cave in if I come into church. Well, I come in every week and they haven't caved in. The, the fire alarm may go off once in a while, but the walls won't cave in, okay? Uh, uh, that's just because the worship was so good. Um, so, you know, we have all these excuses like, I've got to fix. How, how many of you are going to fix yourself up if you're going to go to the hospital? You know, we go broken, bruised, bloody, right? We go and we, we let them fix us up. See, that's how we come to Christ. We come to Christ broken, bloody, beat up, sinners. And we say, God, I need you. You see, that's how David came to the Lord. He said, man, I've messed up. See, my question to you is, when was the last time you got before the Lord and you just said, I messed up, God. I'm far from you. I'm pursuing these things, but they're not satisfying me and I'm, I'm far from you. When was the last time that you got before the Lord and you just said, I am sorry that we've truly repented before the Lord because, see, what Paul is saying is repentance leads to forgiveness. There's this forgiveness and there's this, there's this joy that God wants to restore in us through our brokenness before him. God does not want to leave you down in the sand and to make you grovel. Do you think God could point out all our sins and keep us in the dirt? He could. But it's through his son, Jesus, and through his grace and mercy that he doesn't leave us there, that he picks us up. The problem is not God. The problem is us. The problem is my sin. The problem is my waywardness. The problem is is my pride. So what Jesus does is he becomes our substitute. God's wrath for our sin is poured out on his son, which should have been poured out on us. And when you find that forgiveness before the Lord and say, man, I don't deserve it because, man, in my heart, I'm so judgmental. Right? Aren't we judgmental? You'd be driving down the road, someone cuts you off, and you're like, man, no one knows how to drive in in New York, right? And we get so hyper. And I have to admit, can I just confess something to you here today? I'm not very good in the car. I don't have the greatest patience, okay? So pray for me. Let's pray now. Lord, help my patience in the car. So Kathleen and I are in the car, and we're going down. Uh, the True story. We're in a parking lot, and there's one way to go through the parking lot, and there's parking spots on either side. This person decides to make their own way through the parking lot, through all the empty spots, and just shoot right across, not in the main thoroughfare that you're supposed to be driving, and then has the audacity to look at me and look like I'm nuts, so I waved him and said, what do you, and Kathleen's like, Barden, 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 right? You know, but how many times have I done the same thing? You, you know what I mean? How many times have I not gone the right way somewhere? And you know what I mean? It, it's just, we're so judgmental sometimes. And we think we're better than other people. And here God looks at us and he could easily point out all the things that are wrong in our lives. But what does he do? He sends us his son. And when I find the mercy and grace of God in my life, it humbles me. It allows me to offer grace to other people who don't deserve it. Listen, when God is truly working in your heart and doing deep things in your heart, you will offer grace and forgiveness because you understand the grace and mercy that's been flowed, uh, that's come into your life. How God poured and flowed his mercy and grace into your life. 
Here's, here's David. David, let me just finish with this. David was pursued by King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David and wanted David dead. And so David fleed from it. And, and there, was, there was many occasions, twice, David could have killed King Saul. Saul deserved it. He was trying to kill David at every turn because he was jealous of him. And eventually Saul would die. But David at the death, listen, this, here's the heart of David, understanding repentance. At the death of Saul, the word of God says that David didn't rejoice over his death, but he was grieved. And in, in fact, David showing the kindness in his heart because of the mercy that flowed from God to him. He said, if there's anyone that I can show kindness to in the house of Saul, let me do that. And there was one person named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth had, he, 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 he was um, handicapped um, and, 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 and David said, I want to reach out to him. And then David reached out to Mephibosheth and said, I want you to come into my house and, and I want you to sit at the king's table. Do you think David could have shown any kindness to any of, of, of Saul's family of what Saul did to him? No. Why, why, could, why could David do that? Because of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy in his own life. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. If you want to strive for God's heart, you strive through repentance, allowing God's forgiveness to flow in our life, and then allowing that mercy and grace that was bestowed upon you, let that flow out in your life in the way we deal with other people. That's a person that will be chasing the heart of God. That's my desire for you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion and we're going to, we're going to wrap up the service today and then we can let you out into the 110 heat index. I'm telling you, I could preach real long. It's nice and cool in here, isn't it? It's nice. It's beautiful in here, right? Um, let me, let me just share this one thing and let me just ask you this question. There was a quote by A.W. Tozier, a great book uh, called the pursuit of God and, and, A.W. Tozer says this, I I believe that the thing that draws us away from God, and I believe A.W. Tozer just hits it on the head, and this is what he says. He says, complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. That's a great quote. And let me just say this, if you're not actively pursuing God, if we're not actively repenting before the Lord, what's going to happen is complacency is going to set in in our life. That's exactly what happened to David. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Complacency. If I'm not actively pursuing the heart of God through repentance, if I'm not allowing God's grace and mercy to flow into my heart, if I'm not spending that time alone with God, complacency begins to set into my heart. And that's a deadly foe for our spiritual growth. So my, my question for you is what are you chasing today? Are you actively pursuing the heart of God? Listen, God wants you to be satisfied in him. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have things. But when I'm satisfied in God, those things that God does give us, um, I can enjoy them that much more because I know those aren't the ultimate fulfillment in my life. That's what God desires for your heart and your life today. So is there anything, here's a takeaway, is there anything in my life that I'm neglecting to let God deal with? Is there anything in my life that I'm neglecting that I know in my heart that I'm just, I've, I've 
I've shut that door in that compartment in that room in my heart and say, God, you can't deal with that. Let's open up that door. Let God deal with it. If it's unforgiveness, if it's bitterness, if it's, if it's a sin in your life that you know that is in rebellion to God, open that door and let God deal with it because he wants you to bring you to that place of healing and forgiveness and joy that he's desiring to have with you in a relationship with you. That's what made David's relationship with God so unique and so special. So as we come to the Lord's table today, listen, I, I want to say this communion is open. You don't have to be a member of our church but you do have to be a member of God's family. We're going to pray. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, man, I, I want to start that relationship with God. You can do it right at your seat. The word of God says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you can just call out to God and say, God, just restore my heart. Change me today. And we're going to take communion together and the ushers are going to serve you. Please hold on to the elements to the end and we'll take communion together as, as the family of God and the worship team is just going to lead us in a song as, as the ushers serve you today. So would you bow your hearts with me today as we just pray and let God deal with your heart. This is a sacred moment that we can have before the Lord today. The Apostle Paul says that anytime we take communion, we should actually examine our hearts. So let God examine your heart today. Make this a sacred moment between you and the Lord and, and, and have that discussion with the Lord in the areas that maybe need to be de- dealt with in your heart and your life. So, Lord Jesus, we just bow our hearts before you today, and I thank you for this time. I thank you, Jesus, for what you accomplished for us. It was only through your life, through your atoning sacrifice, that we could find forgiveness. None of us in this place earned it or deserved it through our own works. It's completely through your grace and what Christ accomplished for us. And so, Lord, I pray as we take communion today, we would just look and inspect, allow you to inspect our own hearts and lives. And if there's things in there that, that need to change, God, Lord, through repentance, may we, we have a change of heart and mind so that we would serve you the way you desire us to serve you, that our satisfaction would be in you this morning. So we thank you for everything you've done for us, Jesus. And we thank you for these emblems and what they mean. That Jesus... You said anytime we receive this and take, take this, we're remembering your body that was given for us and your blood that was shed for us because there had to be a sacrifice made because of, of our sin. And you took the penalty for us, Jesus. You became our substitute. And the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins. So thank you, Jesus, for doing it for us. So we put our faith and our trust in what you already accomplished for us. Thank you for the forgiveness and the healing that you bring for those who put their trust in you. And I pray that for every heart here today as we receive communion this morning. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.